Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Under the Wig. I'm Marnie McKenna. And I'm Ellie Smith. Our episode today is brought to you by the MSLS and College of Law. The College of Law offers the largest range of flexible practical legal training programs in Western Australia. With online part-time and full-time study options and more than 10 start dates, you can fit PLT around your schedule. Google the College of Law to learn more. This season, we're not only bringing you interviews with people in the legal profession, but in the field of criminology too. We're starting off with Lucy Stronach, a former Murdoch criminology graduate and the current youth representative to the United Nations. Hi, Lucy Stronach. Thank you for talking to us. Um, now, I'm going to be honest, before this interview, I did some pretty thorough LinkedIn stalking. Um, and I've got to say, you've got quite the impressive resume. How did you get to where you are today? I guess it was a lot of years of study to get me here, but also a lot of um, intertwining, I guess, practical experiences into where I am now. So for context, um, I studied a Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Counterterrorism Studies at Murdoch, and then a Bachelor of Criminology um, in Criminal Behaviour and Legal Studies. Um, so while I was doing that over the six or seven years that I studied that, I made sure I spent a lot of time trying to study overseas, um, through exchange programs or scholarship programs, or at least searching for practical internships and those kind of experiences. And that just gave me a really well-rounded education and experience while I was at Murdoch that made me feel I guess, ready to tackle the outside world once I graduated. Um, and so now I'm in a role as the United Nations Youth Representative for Australia. Um, and honestly, I think one of the only reasons I got to that place was literally all the practical experience I did and the lessons learned and the skills that I built up over six or seven years of putting myself out in the field and doing that kind of practical work. Um, so amidst our stalking, <laughs> we noticed that you've completed like a range of different jobs and positions and experience surrounding human trafficking. Um, and we were just wondering what got you interested in that kind of field and area of work. Um, so I studied at San Diego State University and they offered really, really cool, exciting courses there. One of them was just called human trafficking and it wasn't something we'd really touched on yet because um, I was only in my second year of crim. And so I was like, right, that sounds really cool. I'm going to do that course, see how it goes. And while studying it, to me, it was this big realization that this is such a pervasive and widespread issue that isn't being addressed as much as it should, particularly with labor trafficking. I think a lot of the focus and the hype is around things like sex trafficking um, and forced marriages, which are, of course, massive, really detrimental issues. But labor trafficking trumps that um, tenfold. And it was that realization that there are millions and millions of people uh, in forced labor and modern-day slavery it made me realize that we need more research and more advocacy in that kind of space, um, particularly because we're dealing with some of the most vulnerable and marginalized people who, uh, I guess, are in that space. It's so important that people who have the opportunity and the privilege and the platform to have an education and a voice are actually, um, I guess, shining the spotlight on some of those issues. I guess the most practical experience I had was when I was on my New Colombo Plan scholarship in Vietnam and I was interning with an organization called Blue Dragon Children's Foundation and they're this phenomenal organization run by an Australian guy who uh, basically moved over there 10 or 15 years ago as a teacher um, and he 
started this organization teaching street kids how to read and then it snowballed and now it, it helps thousands and thousands and thousands of young Vietnamese street kids but also the other half of their work is uh, rescuing, rehabilitating and reintegrating victims of human trafficking across Hanoi and other areas of Vietnam. And so I witnessed the work that they were doing day in, day out and the incredible um change that they were making in their community all the way from rescuing young women from forced marriages and baby farms in China, smuggling them across the border back to Vietnam, um, reuniting them with their families, housing them, teaching them how to cook and clean and practical life skills, prosecuting their perpetrators in courts and actually getting um, human traffickers sent to prison. So it was a really holistic approach that they took in that organization and seeing that was so phenomenal. Um, and so for me, I guess it was those major experiences that really got me engaged in that space. And it is something I would really love to go back to after I finish up my term as youth rep. Um, but at the moment, obviously my focus is a hundred percent the UN. Do you have any memories from doing that work that's really stuck with you in your role now? A lot. I'm trying to figure out what, <laughs> what one. Um, I think for me, a really vivid image I had was sitting in this office space. Um, and so in Vietnam, the office we had, it was like the seven story building and each level had a different purpose. So, um, the bottom level was like a space for the kids to, um, go after school or when they weren't at school to hang out, like a kind of kids community space. And then a level up, you had something like a school and then an art studio or a dance studio, and then a cafeteria for the kids to eat at. So each level of this office that we worked at every day also was about the community and the kids that we served and the people we served. And it was all incorporated into one. And on the level above our offices were was, um, I guess, temporary emergency housing for the girls that they would rescue from China from human trafficking. And I remember one day walking to my office and I saw, I guess, girls that they literally just rescued being shuffled into this emergency accommodation by the team that rescued them. And some of them had little kids clutching onto them. Some were pregnant. And it was such a visual reminder that these are – very real lives that are being affected. And it's it's easy to detach from that when you're just doing the research and you're just reading about it. But seeing that really visual image of these women who were in terrible, terrible situations um, was a really good reminder for me about why that kind of work is so important. Um, because while it's great for myself personally, for my own career aspirations, it's also most importantly about helping those vulnerable people. So I think that was a really big standout for me and a bit of a shock and slap in the face. Probably a hard question. I apologize in advance, but out of all the projects and experiences that you have been able to have, is there anything that did impact you the most or you found you were most passionate about? Yeah, that is a hard question because I think for a variety of reasons, everything I've done has been the best thing I've ever done. Um, I guess what would have been the most challenging and rewarding experience would have been when I was in India um, for those few months. So that was as part of a new Colombo plan um, grant. So they have the scholarship and the grant program. And so um, there was a group of us from Murdoch and a few other universities, the innovative research universities, I believe, around Australia. And there was a group of maybe 10 of us who got the opportunity to spend a couple of months in India 
um, working in different organizations depending on our respective fields. And so, like I mentioned before, I was working with the Organization for the Empowerment of Sex Workers um, and Victims of Human Trafficking. And I think while the work was challenging yet highly rewarding, I think it was just generally living in a place like Mumbai that was so difficult for me. Um, I've lived in lots of different places around the world and I've never found the culture shock a difficult thing to adjust to. But um, that was a real wake-up call for me that there is such a difference in the opportunities that we have in Australia, the quality of life we have here compared to that of other places in the world. Um, Particularly being a young woman where women aren't necessarily treated equally as men in a society like India, unfortunately, um, there is a long way to go there. And that was really apparent to me um, how I was treated in the workplace, in my daily life. And that was something really difficult to adjust to because in Australia, I'm not afraid for my life if I speak up about gender equality. Um, And that, again, comes from a place of privilege for myself that I do have that opportunity. But that was something really difficult to adjust to as a very stark, outspoken feminist. (laughs) Do you have any advice on how to handle that culture shock when you're working in different places or dealing with different types of communities? I think you just have to embrace it. Um, You have to be really aware that things are not going to be easy um, when you go to a new country, particularly one that might not be English speaking or at least English as first language um, that has a really different culture to your own and that's not I guess a western country so it's being aware of those differences and preparing yourself I guess mentally for that so also doing some research I think people often forget that we have Google and you can Google cultural norms and traditions and customs and actually do some preparation I think that's a really important thing to do because um having that cultural awareness and understanding is one of the best things you can do to prepare yourself to embrace the differences that you're going to experience and really, uh, I guess, get over that culture shock. Um, I guess for me, the biggest thing that I've always done is pack like a suitcase of Australian food. And because for me, food reminds me of home. Um, And so when I'm feeling like frustrated or stressed out or really feeling the culture shock, um, heavily, I'll go home to wherever I'm staying and I'll have my Vegemite on toast. And for just a second, it's like, ah, oh, I'm back at home. Everything is fine in the world. Um, so take Australian food with you and like your favorite snacks that you know you're not going to be able to get there, even if it's for just a month. It'll be the best thing you do. Um, and just having little things that remind you of home. It might not be something massive, but um, yeah, like I said, for me, it was food. <laughs> ridiculously and whenever I've come back to Australia for like a little holiday to say hello and gone back I'll take another full suit like 20 kilos of random like almonds because I couldn't get them in Sri Lanka I don't know why (laughs) so yeah pack your food with you before you go that's a great tip that hopefully we'll be able to use if we can ever leave the country again today as a UN youth rep for Australia in your kind of day-to-day position what does your work look like At the moment, it's honestly a lot of emailing, Um, (laughs) sitting in my home office that has been like a prison cell over the last year during COVID. No, I'm very lucky where I live. But yeah, day in, day out, it's just a lot of Zoom calls and a lot of emailing. So it's not very glamorous right now. But in 10 days, I think I'm leaving for the start of my listening tour, which is basically like a six-month tour of Australia where I 
listen to the voices of young Australians across every state and territory and I um, record those voices, I consolidate them into a big report and I then hand that on to the United Nations, to policymakers and MPs across Australia and the world to try and make some real change for young people. So in 10 days' time, things will look very different, um, which will be a lot of flying and driving and speaking and listening um, and recording. (laughs) I'm very, very humbled by the opportunity to be able to listen to the voices of so many of these vulnerable, marginalised and sometimes disenfranchised young people um, from, you know, the most remote parts of Australia where they don't have a platform or they don't have a voice. And so I'm very excited for the opportunity to listen and to not speak because it's not my time to speak and have my voice heard. I have an incredible platform already and I have been very privileged to have that, but it's now time to hand that platform over to other young Australians who haven't had their voices heard before, who've never had that platform to speak up about what they're concerned about, whether it's that they need new sporting equipment in their school or whether it's that they're worried about climate change. On all ends of the spectrum, every issue we engage with and that a young person brings up to us is valued and understood and recorded so that we can hand that over to the people who can make that kind of change. What sort of legislative change would you like to see occur as a result? Of your work personally um see this is hard because I, <laughs> I don't like offering necessarily my personal opinion because I don't feel like it's my place this year to be I guess offering what I think my job is to iterate what other people think and what young people think but if if I'm going to give myself this one little bit of <laughs> personal opinion <laughs> um I would really like to see and I'm a bit biased because of my background but Raising the age of criminal responsibility is one of the biggest things that I have always advocated for. Having volunteered at Bankshire Hill Detention Centre, our kids' prison, and seeing young people in there at ages that they shouldn't be in detention is really heartbreaking and difficult to see. So raising the age of criminal responsibility federally but also statewide would be something I would really love to see. Um, Changing the date of Australia Day is another big one. That was a really topical issue having just gone by and something that's really important for us to finally truly acknowledge and respect the past that we've had with our Indigenous population and ensure that they are being heard because right now they're not. Um, I guess in terms of education, I think we need massive curriculum reform. Kids aren't being taught the things they need to. The curriculum we have is from hundreds of years ago and it's been taught We've been taught the same stuff that we were so, so, so many decades ago that is irrelevant, or somewhat irrelevant at least, to the world that we're living in. We need financial literacy education. We need better digital literacy education. We need to learn about solving these big issues rather than Pythagoras theorem in class. And while that is obviously beneficial for some students, it is such a small portion of students that I guess benefit from our current education system and so many young people that um, are falling through the cracks. What else? More women and young people in politics and I know that's not necessarily legislative reform but that's something that I'll also really be trying to push for because we're not represented as young people in the political system right now. When you look at a politician the first thing I think of is 
an old rich white man and that's not representative of me or honestly most of Australians out there and especially most of the young Australians we have such a multicultural diverse nation and that's not being seen and there are some good steps being taken but I think we need to push for that more whether it's through legislation or just through social change and advocacy that needs to change as well Um, I could go on forever so I'll stop myself there but (laughs) there's a lot that needs to be done (laughs) Would you have any advice for current slash future, specifically criminology students um, and things that you wish you knew um, when you were studying? I've said it before and I'll say it again, but practical experience is the best thing you can do. Um, If it's not within the curriculum and in your course, if there's not a unit that you can take that's, say, an internship, Go out and find it yourself. There are so many organizations and NGOs and institutions that are looking for young, passionate, able young people who want to get involved. It's a matter of sending an email. I remember when I first started volunteering at Bankshire Hill, I just send them a bunch of emails and called them up every couple of months and bugged them until finally they caved (laughs) and let me volunteer there. But you do have to put yourself out there and you have to do the work and seek out those opportunities, but they exist So the biggest piece of advice I can offer you is go out and hunt for practical opportunities. It doesn't matter if your degree is going to take you longer. Mine took me seven or eight years, but I'm in probably the best position I could ever be in in my life because I took time and I wasn't worried about rushing through it and getting straight into the workforce and working that nine to five job. I took my time. I filled up you know, extra unit spaces with internships and with volunteering so that I built up this wealth of knowledge and experience um, and passion personally. That means that now when I go into the workforce, hopefully I will be set up for everything and anything. Fingers crossed. I don't know yet because (laughs) that's coming after the threat position. So we'll see. Maybe I'll just go study PhD. Uh, (laughs) So I never have to try and find a job and deal with that. But um, yeah, I would just say, go out and hunt for it because it's there. There is money there for scholarships. There are opportunities that are there. Talk to people in the exchange office. Talk to your dean of the law school. Talk to your uh, lecturers and your tutors because they will know of opportunities. Um, Don't be afraid of putting yourself out there and using your networks and your connections because people are really willing to help out young students and young people who are passionate and engaged in this type of work. That's really, really good advice. You mentioned that you volunteered at Banksia Hill. What was that like? I loved it. I absolutely loved my time there and it's something I wish I could have been doing throughout 2020 and in the last few years when I've been traveling. Um, But it was actually just teaching assistants. So we'd go into, well, at the time it was just myself and now there are a few more volunteers there. But I'd go into the classrooms and work with the kids and the teachers to help with tutoring and mentoring and generally supporting that classroom environment. And that was incredible. Um, The kids there are absolutely wonderful. I think, I mean, some people might find it a difficult workspace to be in, but personally I think just the resilience and endurance and perseverance those children show, having faced some of the most extreme circumstances you could ever imagine, being able to witness that growth and, you know, just a kid coming to class every day, just that kind of resilience is so incredible. That survival that uh, instinct that they have. So for me that was a incredible unparalleled experience that I'll always, always cherish and I cannot – more highly recommend 
spending time in those kind of facilities or institutions if you can because it's very eye-opening but it's also really really inspiring and um gets that passion going I think were there any memories of those experiences that have really stuck with you since I think one day that was really important and special to me was um I guess it was after a few months or years, I can't remember, of me volunteering in there and I developed a pretty good rapport with the kids, which can be quite difficult to do sometimes because naturally there's not a lot of trust in figures of authority or these kind of institutions, particularly coming from corrective services. Um, whilst I wasn't representative of that, being a teaching assistant, you kind of are incorporated into that. Um, and so being able to break down some of those barriers um, was really important for me and developing that rapport with the kids and one of the days I don't even know how it started but all of a sudden we were sitting in a circle and the kids were talking about their life experiences and their past and just opening up in a way I have never seen them do before and hearing these stories to me it was a realization that most of the children in that facility have had worse crimes and worse things happen to them than they have ever committed or they have ever done um and the way that we house and treat young people in detention has to change because these are the most vulnerable and the most sometimes most traumatized kids in Australia and that needs to be understood and we need facilities that actually cater to that so that was a really important experience to me to actually hear some of those stories firsthand from these kids you've mentioned in your podcast before about your experiences with mental health and you've been a really outspoken advocate of it uh, in particular, how it feels to struggle with burnout. I think that's something I personally, and I'm sure a lot of low criminology students really empathise with. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's something that for the past, so I'm almost 25, and for the past 24 years almost, I've been operating on some ridiculous frequency that meant I could do everything and anything and get away with it and then all of a sudden I got a bit older and that came to a screeching halt and through 2020 I had a big realization that I don't have the energy or the capacity to operate at that level anymore and I burnt out so badly to the point where I was like I'm ready to quit everything I just want to move to Alaska and hide away and not speak to anyone for the rest of my life um and it was just this moment of realization, like how silly, like why did I do that to get to this point where I'm now uninspired and unmotivated and I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get up out of bed in the morning. I would just rather lay down all day. Why push myself to that point? Because that's so unsustainable. And I know everyone who's experienced burnout says the same kind of stuff, but it is so important to have mechanisms in place to recognize when you're being burnt out or when you're getting to that level and to prevent it before it happens and to stop it before it happens it's now very much I've switched that mentality of like I'm not a working machine um I'm a human being and I also need my time to heal mentally and physically from life um but I would implore other young people who maybe haven't got to that point yet, don't let it happen. Be kind to yourself. Um, I know I've been preaching about doing all this practical stuff and trying to cram everything in, but while that was okay for that time period, it's not sustainable and there will be a point where you come 
like I said, to a screeching halt and it ends in disaster. So take your time, enjoy your life, find happiness in things that are not work and not study, have hobbies and actually try and get balance into your life because I didn't for a long time and that was to my detriment and I will feel the impacts of that for a long, long time. Um, thank you so much for coming and sitting down with us today. It's been great to talk to you and hear about your career and learn a little bit more about you personally. So. I think, um, like you said, sometimes as a young person in Australia, it's hard to remind yourself that you do have um, at least somewhat of a say um, and a voice. Um, and even just speaking to you for this short amount of time, it is a very nice reminder that there are people um, representing us and listening um, to all kinds of issues that we feel are important and knowing that they're getting passed on to hire up people with the power to make a change. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad you feel that way. And shameless plug, but um, if young people do want to get involved in the Youth Rep program and have their voices heard, we're running consultations all throughout 2021. You can go to the Youth Rep website, which is um, just through UN Youth. Um, you can fill out an expression of interest form to have a consultation run with you. You can get in contact with me at my email, which is youthrep at unyouth.org.au. Shoot me a question, shoot me an inquiry. There's a whole team of us ready to get your voices heard and have that change made. So please do get involved if you're under the age of 25. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, College of Law. Follow Murdoch Student Law Society on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date for our next episodes.